And now if you'll remain standing and open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. This morning we'll be looking at verses 1 through 3. Revelation chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. And this is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. You would do well to give it your full attention. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You may be seated. The book of Revelation is a letter, just like many of the other books of the New Testament. Now, when those letters were written and sent to the first century churches, they would be read aloud in one of the Lord's Day worship services. But I want you to place yourself for a moment in their shoes. And imagine that you've gathered for worship one Sunday, and the minister gets up to read the letter which has come to be known today as the book of Revelation. Now, it would be a very different experience than the reading of one of the letters of Paul or Peter or James, wouldn't it? This letter is filled with otherworldly beings described in fantasy-like visions, which is supposed to be telling you about what to expect in the world all around you. Well, it may have been a different experience for the original readers of this letter, but it would not have been as frustrating to the original hearers as it is to many present-day readers of this letter. The reason why is because much of the letter is filled with Old Testament imagery, which they were more familiar with than we are oftentimes today. They were more familiar with the Old Testament because they had just come out of the Old Covenant age. The New Covenant age had just begun. And sadly, many today do not know the Old Testament scriptures very well. A certain theology has arisen and been popularized today known as dispensationalism, which says that the Old Testament was by and large for the nation of Israel, but the New Testament is for the church today. And so they separate Israel and the church into two different or two separate peoples of God. Tim LaHaye who wrote the Left Behind series, for example, was a dispensationalist and helped to popularize that view of theology. Now, it's not difficult to see that with a theology like this, there is not much need really to study the Old Testament or for ministers to preach through it, unless, of course, it's, it's the book of Daniel. 
But going through a preaching series on the book of Leviticus, as we've uh, just done, you know, would not really be that useful. To give you an example, the dispensationalist John F. MacArthur, who is well known for preaching verse by verse through the New Testament, and which we would commend him for, he decided that once he finished preaching through the New Testament, he would just start over and preach through the New Testament again. And that was years ago, and, and, and I think since then he has been preaching th- some through the book of Genesis, which is great, but you get the point. Our generation today is not as familiar with the Old Testament as that first century church was. For many reasons, and one being that they just don't find it as relevant today. If we're going to understand the book of Revelation, we must pay attention to its Old Testament background. One scholar, Bruce M. Metzger, stated that of 278, there are 278 out of 404 verses in Revelation that contain one or more allusions to Old Testament passages. So of the 404 verses in Revelation, 278 of them have at least one allusion to an Old Testament passage. And so you can see that much of the content of Revelation comes from the Old Testament. Therefore, we will need to pay attention to the Old Testament if we are going to understand this book, this letter. Now, the New Testament is the flowering of the Bible. But the Old Testament contains the root and the growing up of the plant, so that when we get to the New Testament, we will see how it all comes together in its flowering stage. The Old Testament is important to us so that we can see the fullness of what God is revealing to us in his word. And so as we look at the book of Revelation, we will need to recognize those Old Testament allusions that are present in it. And many of them come from the book of Daniel. But it's not just Daniel. There's also the book of Exodus. There is Ezekiel, Isaiah, Zechariah. So many of the Old Testament books are alluded to in the book of Revelation. But even if we fully grasped the Old Testament content in the book of Revelation, we would still be left with the difficulty of all the symbols and and the different visions that John provides for us. Revelation is a difficult book to study and to comprehend. Many who study the book are very puzzled by its meaning. But we need to recognize that the main point of the book can be clearly discerned. Even if we don't understand every detail of the visions that John provides for us throughout the book, we can still understand the book as a whole. It's, of course, important to understand the details, but we must not lose sight of the forest for the trees. And so as we go through the first few passages of the book, I'm going to try to point out the main themes of the book. Really, much of this first chapter is going to be a a mini-series, 
so to speak, a mini-series on the major themes of the book. And you can find all of these major themes to some degree here in this first chapter. And so this morning we're going to be looking at three of those major themes, which are the themes of revelation, nearness, and blessing. Revelation, nearness, and blessing. Now as we turn our focus to the very first verse of the book, we find where it gets its name. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now that word there, revelation, in Greek, apokalupsis, maybe uh, you've heard that word before. Sometimes we talk about apocalyptic literature. It comes there from that Greek word, apokalypsis. And uh, maybe you've heard this book titled at times, The Apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Well, that word apocalypse means to reveal or to unveil. An apocalypse is a revelation of something that is hidden or concealed. And so the apocalypse of Jesus Christ is specifically a revealing of heavenly realities that are presently veiled to us. And so what John wrote down is an unveiling. It's what we would see if the curtain between heaven and earth was removed. He's helping us to see the unseen realm. What is going on all around us, though we can't see it with our natural eyes. I could put it this way. Those heavenly realities which we cannot see with our physical eyes, John is helping us to see with the eyes of faith. Now it's called the apocalypse of Jesus Christ because Jesus is the source of the revealing. Much of the content is also about him. It's centered, its focus is upon him. But Also, he is the source of the revelation. Ultimately, John tells us here in these first few verses that God is the source, but Jesus is the mediator of the revelation. He is the one who sends his angel to make known the revelation to John. Sometimes you may have heard the title of the book as the Apocalypse of St. John. Because the Apostle John is the one who received and wrote down the revelation. And please take note that the word is not revelations, but revelation. It was a singular revelation given to John that he wrote down. It's the book of Revelation, not the book of Revelations. And more specifically, it was a revelation given by God to Jesus Christ, who gave it to his angel to reveal to John who wrote it down for us. Verse 1 informs us that God, meaning the Father, gave it to Jesus Christ the Son, who would show it to His servants. Jesus made it known to His servants by sending an angel to John who wrote it down for us. The book is from Christ and for us. 
for those who are Christ's servants. Now, sadly, many people think that this book is mainly for some future group of Christians. Those Christians who will be living just before the end or just before the return of Christ. And certainly this book will be for them, but it is for us. And even for those who are living at the time of its composition. In fact, the book constantly refers to matters that were taking place in their day. Even in these first few verses, we are told twice about the nearness of the events that are to take place. Verse 1 says that it was a revelation to be shown to Christ's servants concerning the things that must soon take place. In verse 3 it says, for the time is near. Now those comments can seem confusing since it has almost been 2,000 years since the book was written. Well, these events which John says must soon take place are events of spiritual warfare that take place all throughout the present age. What age? The age that exists between Christ's two comings. Revelation does not primarily concern what will happen in the far distant future. The revelation given to John described what was happening in the first century church and what would happen throughout this age until Christ's return. Those who think it's about some future time tried to get around this by saying that John just thought it was going to happen in his lifetime, but that he was mistaken about that. He simply didn't know. Now, that cannot be the case because John is not recording his own thoughts and speculations. Of course, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. and He's simply giving us the revelation that was given to him. The prologue of the book, that is the first three verses here, affirms this very thing. The epilogue, that is the last words of the book of Revelation, more solidly affirm this. You can turn to the very last chapter, chapter 22, beginning in verse 6, and it expands the content found here in the prologue. See, the second half of verse 6, chapter 22, verse 6 says, And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what, again, here it is, must soon take place. Okay, so John is telling us that it was communicated to him that these events must soon take place. But go on to verse 7. It says, And behold, I am coming soon. Who's that? That is Christ speaking. When does Christ himself say that he will come? Answer, soon. Can Christ be mistaken about when he will come? Of course not. He is divine. He is perfect. And so there was a nearness to the events in this book, a nearness to even those who were living in the first generation or first century church and so how do we make sense of this 
Well, both the prologue and the epilogue of the book have allusions to the book of Daniel. As we said before, we must be familiar with the Old Testament. And so let's go back to our passage. Let's go back to the beginning of Revelation, back to the prologue for just a moment. When John writes in verse 1, the things that must soon take place, he's building upon Daniel chapter 2, verse 45. Now in Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that Daniel interprets. And the dream sets out the course of history in which several pagan world empires will come and go. And during the fourth empire, which was the Roman Empire, the kingdom of God would be established. The kingdom of God would come and be established. And at the end of verse 45, Daniel chapter 2, verse 45, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. Meaning after this time, the time they're living in. What would happen after? The Greek Septuagint translates it, what shall be in the last of days? The great God has made known to the king what shall be in the last of days. In other words, Daniel interpreted what would take place in a time later than the days of Nebuchadnezzar, specifically in the last days. And so what is far-reaching to Daniel is something that is taking place soon in the book of Revelation. Dr. Vern Poitras puts it this way, the wording in Revelation 1.1 seems to be built on Daniel 2.45, where God showed King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the future. In Revelation 1.1, God shows his servants what must take place soon. End quote. So you see, to John, the time was soon. Why? It was soon because it included his own time period. These things would take place in the days in which he lived. But how can we say that? I mean, maybe some of the things occurred uh, in the first century, like those things described in this, uh, to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. But Christ has not returned yet. So how can we say? that these things would occur in John's day. Well, we can only say that if we understand John's day to be our day as well. John lived in the last days. Daniel described to Nebuchadnezzar what would take place in the future, in the last of days. But John spoke of the nearness of these events because he lived in them. What would happen in the last days? God's kingdom would be established in the last days. That's what the dream Daniel interpreted said. And what did Jesus say when he began his ministry? He said, repent for the kingdom of God is way off in the future. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. 
with the first coming of Christ, the kingdom of God was established. Now, it has not yet been consummated. It is not here in all of its fullness. But it was inaugurated with Christ's first coming. Again, listen to the words of Poitras. He writes, In Daniel, the vision is impressively far-ranging. It starts with Nebuchadnezzar's time, but then reaches out to encompass subsequent pagan world empires until the times when God's kingdom is established. The kingdom of God was inaugurated by the first coming of Christ, but its consummation is still to come. We live in the last days. End quote. So not only do we live in the last days, but even John lived in the last days. He even confirms this in other portions of his writings. For example, in his first epistle, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, he says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. And it's not just John. But the rest of the New Testament confirms this as well. For example, Acts chapter 2 records something that the prophet Joel said would only occur in the last days. Acts chapter 2 verses 16 and 17 says, But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Here's the words of Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And this, of course, began to occur on the day of Pentecost there in Acts chapter 2. The last days were beginning. Or take one more example from the book of Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2, which says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. He's speaking of the Old Testament age. But he goes on to say, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. You see, the last days began with Christ's first coming. The kingdom of God was inaugurated... Christ died and rose again on the third day and ascended into heaven where he sat down on his throne at the right hand of God the Father. We are not waiting for Christ to reign in the future. He is reigning now from heaven until he makes all his enemies a footstool. Also in Hebrews, chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, the author there speaks of Christ and he says, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, that is in God the Father, putting everything in subjection to Christ, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Okay, so let's 
Look at that for just a moment from the reverse. Because Christ suffered unto death, he was crowned with glory and honor. That's when his reign began as the God-man. Of course, the Son of God is eternal. He's God over all, King over all. But as the God-man, that's when his reign began. But the author says, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Meaning, we don't see him ruling over all things. But nevertheless, nothing was left outside of his control. Nothing was left outside of the control of his reign. Okay, and here it is. If you see this, then you've got it. What the author of Hebrews says, that we cannot see our eyes at present, is what John is making known to us in the apocalypse, in the unveiling. It does not appear with our naked eyes, that Christ is ruling over all things. But nothing is left outside of his control. Sometimes we look around and we think, it seems like the kingdom of darkness is advancing, that it's ruling, that there's where all the power is. That's how it can appear sometimes. We don't see Christ's reign. It doesn't appear that all things are under his control. That is what John is trying to help us see through these visions, through the apocalypse, through the unveiling. He's showing us the reign of Christ from heaven. That's why the book of Revelation can say that the events are to come soon and are near because they are events which are taking place all throughout this age. All throughout these last days. They are near in comparison to those who lived in previous ages, like Daniel. And so the last days are not some time off in the future. They began in John's day, encompass our day, and will continue until Christ returns. And the epilogue is, again, helpful to us in this respect. In chapter 22, verse 10, John is told... Not to seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. What was Daniel told in the final chapter of his book? He was told in chapter 12, verse 4, Shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. You see, what was distant to Daniel is now near to John because the end of days had come. The apocalypse of Jesus Christ was not to be sealed up because the events disclosed were near. They were coming soon. And the servants of Christ would therefore be blessed by them. We've talked about revelation. We've talked about the nearness of the things But also these first few verses focus on, and the rest of the book focuses on, blessing. Verse 3 gives the first of seven benedictions throughout the book. And we talked about benediction last week from the book of Leviticus. It's interesting. All the Bible seems to be talking about the same things. 
We talked about benediction last week, how it comes from the Latin. It simply means a good, bene good, indiction, which I said word, more like a speech, a spoken word. Uh, to speak good or to speak well of something. It's to speak blessing upon someone. And so blessing is a major theme in Revelation. Verse 3 states, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Now, yes, it's a difficult book in many ways to understand. But it's not meant to confuse. It's meant to give you a message. And in understanding that message, you will be blessed. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. He's thinking about the the minister or the elder or the one who would go up and read the letter before the congregation. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. But he goes on to say, blessed are those who hear. Those who in the congregation would hear it being read. Almost, I wanted to just read the letter today for the sermon, but I thought, no, I'll probably better write a sermon. Blessed are those who hear. Now, this is not some type of automatic thing. You just hear it, you get the blessing. That's not what John means here. Because he goes on to qualify what he says. By saying, blessed is the one who hears and who keeps what is written in it, for the time is near. See, the letter was revealing to the original hearers and to us today, to the hearers today, the spiritual warfare that is going on all around us. And so it is a blessing to anyone who can discern that spiritual warfare with the eyes of faith. And who can keep it by maintaining the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now testimony is another theme that we're going to pick on the Lord helping us next Lord's Day. But in sum, let me say, beloved... That our faith will be tried in these last days. The book of Revelation tells us that we're going to experience all throughout. We're going to see this over and over and over again. That in these last days we will experience persecution, deception, and seduction from the devil and from the world. And... Certain people, certain cultures experience one of those things more than the others at times. But we all experience those three trials. And the book of Revelation is saying, blessed are you. If you can understand what is being said. If you have the eyes of faith to see. And if you will maintain your testimony to Christ? Will you be faithful? 
The book of Revelation is a call to patiently endure and to keep the faith in the midst of many trials. Will you endure? Will you be a witness to him who shed his blood to wash away our sins, who rose again from the grave and who was seated at the right hand of God in power to rule over all things to the church and who will return to consummate his kingdom and to bring you to be with him. To him be all praise and glory now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that Christ indeed is ruling over all things. There are many things in the world today that want to cause us to fret and to be anxious, to be scared and afraid. But, oh God, we pray that you would put our trust in you to commit all things over to your hands. For Jesus says, can we add to our lives a single day by worrying? We're told that you take care of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. And yet how much more do you care for us? You've told us that Man can only take our lives, but you can cast into hell. So that we should have no fear of what man can do to us. But we know by scripture that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And so we pray, not in a cowardly way of fearing you, but in a way of standing in awe and with reverence toward you our great God, always following after you and not fearing man. May we patiently endure the different trials that we experience in this life, which may be growing more and more in our current culture and day. We thank you for the many blessings that you give to us, ultimately the blessing of Christ and of your promises in him. For in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And all of the promises, yes and amen, in him. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.